Y'all excited about being here tonight? You ready to hear from the Word of God? Grab your Bibles and go ahead and turn to uh, the book of Matthew. We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 25, going through um, one of my favorite parables that Jesus told. And it is a, while you're turning there, it's a tremendous honor to be here. And I, I, I want to thank you all for the opportunity to minister here. And I also thank you for loaning Pastor Philip and Kelly to Olga and I because they minister to us on a weekly basis and uh, they, they serve as overseers for us, which means they, they're one of the group that pastors me. So you need to pray extra for them because I have some serious issues. Amen. I, I'm, I've got so many issues. I have five pastors. So that's how messed up I am. Amen. I know, I know sometimes my dad is looking at the fact that I have five pastors now. And he's like, yep, I knew that was going to happen. But it is also good to be back in my hometown. I grew up here in Baton Rouge and have been gone most of my life. After I got a little bit older, I moved away. But it's good to be back in the home, folks. In fact, the very first house I lived in in Baton Rouge was right around the corner on Archery Drive. I couldn't tell you which house it was because I was like that big when we lived there. But uh, it's kind of cool to be back up in the hood, right? The hood that I grew up in. So really cool. Grab your Bibles. Let's go there. Um, While you're turning there and you're getting ready, you're getting your mindset, let me kind of give you some foundation. Even though I grew up here in Baton Rouge, I moved to to California uh, about halfway through my life. Uh, Some situations happened and I moved out there. That's where I met my beautiful wife. And as he said, I definitely married up. Uh, Got a whole lot better than I deserved. But I was living in Orange County, California doing ministry in a uh, startup church. And if anyone of you have ever been a part of a startup church, you know that there's not a lot of money in the ministry side of that. So I had to go work a full-time job because it costs like a million dollars a month to live in Orange County, California. It's like a beautiful place, but everything costs like three times as much. So I got a job as a stockbroker. And I worked as a stockbroker for about five years, also doing ministry full-time, and, and just planning this church there in Southern California. And I learned a lot about investments. I learned about some really bad investments. I made several bad investments myself. I helped some other people make some really bad investments. And also helped some people make some good ones. And as I read through the parable that we see here in Matthew 25, it, my mind kind of went back to those days of me kind of doing the investment business. And so I want to kind of talk through that a little bit. And there are three critical elements of any investment. If, if you are ever involved in any type of investment thing, there, there are three elements of this that I see in this parable. So let me kind of give those to you so you see where we're going tonight. The, the first critical element is the pitch. 
This is when they, when they sell you on something. This is the pitch. They, they throw the idea at you. The second element is the investment itself. You, you look at the pitch and you're like, yeah, I want to get involved in this. And you buy into the investment. And then the third element, which is really crucial, is the ROI, the return on investment. Somebody say amen. That's, that's where you get back a little bit on, on what you risk. And this is very similar to what we see here in Matthew 25. You see, God entrusts responsibility to every one of us who call ourselves a believer. The moment that He saves us, the moment that He redeems us by His blood, the moment that He imparts salvation to us, He's entrusting to us a grave responsibility. And He does this on purpose for His purpose. Amen? And he doesn't just throw salvation around lightly. Yes, it is a free gift. But we have to understand there's some fine print that comes along with this amazing free gift. You don't just say, yeah, cool, I'm saved, sweet. I'll just keep living the way that I've lived up to this point. When salvation enters our heart, it compels us into that place that we call a radical life change. And that comes with that great responsibility. So let me ask you this question. In fact, while we're going through this study tonight, ask yourself this. What am I doing with what God has entrusted to me? What am I doing with this amazing gift that He's imparted to me? What am I doing with this awesome responsibility? And just kind of as a precursor, I want want to go to Luke chapter 12, verse 48, out of the message. It simply says this. Great gifts mean great responsibility. Greater gifts, greater responsibility. If you're more used to a more traditional translation like the King James or the New King James, it may read something like this, to whom much is given, much is required. When God imparts great gifts, those gifts come with a great responsibility. And the greater gift that He entrusts to us, the greater the level of responsibility. So tonight, for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about this subject. What is the ROI? What is the return on the investment that God has invested to us? Real quick, just, just right where you're at, just close your eyes and let's invite the presence of God into our hearts. Lord, prepare us to receive from your word. Speak into our hearts. Speak into our spirits. We open ourselves up to receive everything that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that tonight that your word would plant something in every one of us. That as we leave this place, that we leave different. Everybody said amen. Amen. So in this investment opportunity that we see in Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14, I'm going to call the first part of this the pitch. This is where the opportunity is presented. We're going to read two verses here. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted, everybody say entrusted, Entrusted. his money to them. Somebody knows he was very trustworthy to entrust his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one. He gave two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last. Dividing in proportion... To their abilities. Everybody say their abilities. And then he left on his trip. When you're looking at any investment. And when you're in the pitch element of an investment. There's there's always some people involved. And these people involved are called the players. 
That there's a one player who's actually pitching the opportunity, and then there's the other player who's catching the opportunity. And the players in this story that we're seeing Jesus tell through this parable represent Jesus and every individual who calls themselves a Jesus follower. And one of the things I'm walking NOLA Church through, we're, we're a young church. We've, we've just turned three. About 96% of our congregation are brand new believers. So we're teaching them a lot of brand new things. And so what I've been talking to them about over the last couple of months is this. You can believe in Jesus without following Him. Just saying you believe in Him doesn't really mean anything. That's like saying, I believe that there's air. Well, good for you, you know. There's air whether you believe it or not. There, there is a God whether you and I believe that or not. So just acknowledging that fact is a great first step. But there's so much more. When we go beyond this mind position into actually living out what we say we believe with our actions, that's when you and I become Jesus followers. And so Jesus is represented by the master and Jesus' followers are represented by the servants. And there are three truths that I want to give you here real quick at the beginning so we kind of understand the foundation of this parable, but we also understand the pitch here. There are three truths that apply to these players. Number one, I want you to notice this. All three of the individuals who were entrusted money by the master were all servants. A lot of times when we read the parable of the talents or the parable of the unprofitable servant, which is a more apt term here, when we read this parable, we tend to think of the first two guys as good servants and we think of that last guy with one as just kind of the flunky that God felt bad for him, so he entrusted a little bit to him. But I want you to understand this. The master called all three of them servants and he entrusted something very important to all three of them. He trusted all of them. That's the second point that I want you to understand. He called them servants and he trusted them. And then the third thing that I want to highlight here is that the master gave them responsibility according to their own ability. He's never going to entrust something to you if you don't know what to do with it. If he's going to call you to do something, if he's going to give you a ministry, if he's going to call you to be involved in some serve opportunity, he's going to make sure that that's something that you either already know how to do or when he calls you, he's going to give you the equipment that you need to accomplish the task. And he trusted all three of these servants and he trusted them according to their ability. Another way of putting this is he had already seen their actions And he had already seen what their actions produced. And he knew what to trust them with. So let me just give you this challenge pretty pretty early on. Don't try to be someone that you're not. Be who he designed you to be. A friend of mine says it like this. You be you, boo-boo. You be the person that he called you to be. Don't look at somebody on the other side of the church and say, man, I wish I had their calling. Man, I wish I had their gifting. I wish I could sing like this person. I wish I could teach like this person. No, you be the person he designed you to be. Let him entrust responsibility to you based on your abilities that are already already planted inside of you. So this is the pitch. The, The next element of this parable is the investment. Let's drop down to verse 16 through 18. This is what Jesus says. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. Everybody say earned. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. Everybody say earned. 
Starting to see a pattern develop here. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. So you've got three servants who'd been entrusted because of past performance. Two of them earned, one of them hid. We can see a lot about what what Jesus is trying to tell us here. Because he's talking about an investment, but not an investment from our end. A lot of times when we hear the word investment at church, we think the guy in the pulpit's trying to get something from us, right? Come on, invest in eternity, which means that's code for reaching your back pocket or your purse and grab your wallet. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about an investment on our part. We're talking about an investment on God's part. God is making an investment in every one of us. We're here tonight on a Wednesday night, not because it's the right thing to do and not just because it's the cool thing to do. We're here on a Wednesday night because at some point in our life, we made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of our life. And we're here because we want to get closer to Him. We want to come get equipped so we can go back out in the wide, wide world and make a difference for Him. Amen? So we have to understand that in any investment, any investment involves one primary element, risk. Nobody likes risk. Risk makes everybody nervous. Some people are risk junkies because they've learned that with great risk comes great reward, right? You're never going to get anything until you risk something. And what we're seeing play out here in this parable is this. God is risking something in every one of us based on what we've already done or what we've already not done. And let me just give you this challenge. If you're unwilling to risk everything, you'll never gain anything. When it comes to the kingdom of God, you can't hold anything back. He doesn't want you to play both sides against the middle. God is here saying, I've gone all in for you. When I gave my son to buy the the freedom from all of your sins, I went all in. I didn't hold anything back. He didn't hold anything back. He's saying, I'm going all in, so I'm not expecting you to just play both sides against the middle here. When we respond to his investment in us, we have to be willing to risk everything just like he did as well. So let me give you three ways to risk God's investment in you and I. Now, I didn't say that wrong. God expects us to take the investment that he put into us and risk it. For the sake of the kingdom. Not for the sake of our kingdom, but for the sake of his kingdom. Amen? Amen. So here are the three ways. Number one, there's a reinvestment. And if we study the story here, we see that the first servant that's mentioned in the story reinvested his responsibility. He had been entrusted with five bags of silver. And he takes these five bags of silver and he reinvests them and he doubles his earnings. So the first way that you and I can risk God's investment in us is we can reinvest it. When he gives us a gift, when he entrusts a responsibility to us, we can turn around and reinvest that gift right back into his kingdom. And when you and I do this with that heart that's always centered on him and always centered on his kingdom, he sees a great increase. Praise God. The second way that we risk God's investment is through sweat equity. And this is one that a lot of us are familiar with. 
We're, we're used to getting, you know, a little elbow grease involved. We're used to sweating a little bit. We're used to getting involved in, in, in a more physical way in, in, in things. The second servant went to work. That's what the story says. The second servant didn't invest. He probably wasn't as savvy as the first servant. So he said, hey, I don't know how to do investments, but here's what I do know how to do. I know how to work. Sometimes God calls you to use your brain. Sometimes he calls you to use your body. Be willing to risk your body in the work of God. And this is what happens. He goes to work and he doubles the responsibility. God had entrusted, or the master had entrusted two bags of silver to him. And he goes to work and he doubles the investment. The third way that you and I can risk God's investment is through hedging. And this is what we see the third servant do. And in the investment game, whenever I would take people's money and I would invest it for them or I would uh, try to entice them to invest in what turned out to be a really, really bad investment. By the way, if you get phone calls from brokers on the phone, hang up on them. They're not after anything good except a commission. That's free. You don't even have to worry about that and just put that in your pocket for later. But one of the ways that you, you, you try to protect your investment is you hedge. Hedge is a fancy word for saying, I'm scared to death. And this is what we see the third servant doing. He's he's hedging his bet. He's playing it safe. And what he ended up doing is, in his own mind, he thought he was protecting his responsibility. The first guy reinvests. The second guy goes to work. The third guy says, oh my Lord, I'm digging a hole and I'm burying it. Because God, the master's going to come back and he's going to ask me what, what happened with what he entrusted to me. And a lot of us are living for God. A lot of us are serving God through a hedging mentality. We're scared to death. We think God is like the God on Family Guy. He, he's old with a long beard and he's mad and he's throwing down lightning bolts at everybody. Don't act like you've never seen that. Don't be so sanctimonious. It's okay to laugh in church. But we think God is mean. We think he's mad. We think he's angry at us all the time. So we get scared. And our investment ends up being hidden because I don't want to lose it. He gave me salvation. If I step out of the comfort, I may lose what he entrusted to me. And so we react from a place of fear. That takes us right into the third element of any investment, which is the ROI, the return on investment. Matthew chapter 25, verses 19 and 20. Jesus continues in the story, and this is what he says. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. This is the uncomfortable moment. I remember these phone calls when I was a broker. After I had taken someone's money and invested it for them, and it didn't do so well. I did well. I got that 10 or 12% commission and then I re-upped them, got them to reinvest because, man, this is a great opportunity. You're, you're never going to, you know, if you don't take advantage of this now, man, this opportunity has gone. Anyone ever heard anything like that? This is your last day to do this. I was good. And they would call like, hey, where's my return? And ultimately, by the way, I, I'm no longer a stockbroker, praise God. But ultimately what happened is I began to realize that, hey, I'm taking advantage of these people. Truth be told, I was actually stealing their money. 
I was putting it into to junk bonds. I was putting it into things that could never give them a return. And thank God that the conviction of God settled on my heart. And a good man of God said, man, you're, you're miserable in your life because you're not, you're not living in your calling. You need to follow your calling. And I stepped out from under that, praise God. But we can imagine how these three servants felt. The master comes back from his long trip. The first two guys are like, sweet, I doubled the investment. The third guy's like, sweet, I protected what he gave me. There's going to come a time in every one of our lives, and it's not just at the end of all this in eternity. This happens on a regular basis where God calls us as believers and Jesus followers to a place where we have to give account for the investment that he has made in us. What am I doing with what he's invested in me? Is my investment in the black? Have I gained something? Or is it in the red? Have I lost what he's invested to me? And when God trusts us with responsibility, understand this, he is going to hold us accountable to his investment. He's not a bad investor. He's a a very savvy investor. He does his due diligence. He looks around and he says, okay, this is what they've done in the past with what I've given them. So I'm going to entrust this to them. Sometimes we begin to ask God, God, I need a blessing. God, I need a little bit more of this or this or this. And God's saying, I would do that, but this is all I can trust you with now. Let me hold you accountable for what I've already given you. And when you show me a return right here, I'll be able to invest more. Let's go down to the second part of verse 19. It says this, The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward. This is accounting time. And he came forward with the five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver, silver to invest and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you more responsibilities. Notice, he doesn't say, I'm going to give you more money. I'm going to give you more responsibility. A lot of times we ask God to bless us saying, I need a little bit more green in my bank account. But oftentimes the blessings of God is not something that we can spend in a store. Some, sometimes it's the responsibility of carrying someone else into the open arms of a loving Savior. When God sees us being faithful over the things He's entrusted to us, He entrusts more responsibility to us. And He says, let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I earned Two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. God made an investment in every one of us for the sole purpose of the celebration. But the celebration can't come until we double His investment in us. Is there anyone in your life that you have connected to Jesus Christ? Is there anyone that you can immediately look around in your circle that you have led to Christ Jesus? Have you ever led someone to the point where they just surrendered themselves over to a loving God? That's the investment He put in you. He didn't save you and I for us to go, Woo! I'm saved and I'm so glad about it. They used to sing that song when I was a kid. 
I know I'm saved and I'm so glad about it. And then they'd hoop and holler and, and get all excited about it. I know I'm saved. But who were they saving? Who was I saving? Who are you saving? Celebration about the salvation we received is only good up to a certain point. At some point we have to reinvest what He's put in us. When, when you and I are faithful with what God has entrusted to us, He trusts us with even more responsibilities. So let me ask you this question. As a pastor, and I'm sure Pastor Philip could, could attest to this, as a pastor, I get this text, email, Facebook post, whatever it may be, all the time. Pastor, I need to know what God called me to do. I, how do I figure out what He called me to do? Can you help me? Can you tell me what God called me to do? And if you've ever wanted to know what He's called you as an individual to do, and by the way, understand that the moment that He saves you, in that exact same moment, He calls you to a higher purpose. It's up to you and I from that point to walk it out and figure out what it is and listen to His voice. Notice the giftings, discover the giftings that are already resident within us and begin living that out. But we want to know, what am I called to do? What is my purpose? Let me show you how to find it. It's very simple. Start being faithful with what you already have. He's not going to give you more responsibility until He shows you or you show Him that you're faithful with what He has already entrusted to you. And then take what He's entrusted to you and begin to reinvest your gift. And one of the ways we do this is we put God first. In our time, our talent, and our treasure. We reinvest our time by putting God first. And then we, we reinvest our talents by putting Him first in our talents. It doesn't matter what the talent is. A lot of times we think of talent in church, in church language by the people that play instruments or do creative things at church. But what if your talent is to make a room clean? Not everybody has that talent. I have four children. Trust me, I know that not everybody in my family has the, the talent of making a room clean. Now, they have the talent of making it very unclean. My wife was gone for two weeks. Trust me, I walked into that house off after I got home from my vacation. It looked like Hurricane Isaac, Katrina, and Patricia had got together and thrown a party. There was stuff hanging from the ceiling. I'm kidding, it wasn't really. <laughs> But almost. It had piled up just about that high. But it, but it doesn't really matter what your talent is. Your talent may be to play a guitar, but your talent may be just to love somebody. Your talent may be to just say, hey, are you hurting? How can I pray for you? Or your talent may be to walk up to somebody and say, I know you're doubting right now that God has you, but I have faith that He's going to take you through. Or can I help you in any way? Can I hold the door open for you? Y'all, that's a gifting, and we need to understand that God gifts all of us through the same Holy Spirit. He gives us all gifts as we need them. Discover your gifting and begin to reinvest it. Put Him first in your time. Put Him first in your talent. And put Him first in your treasure. And watch how He begins to increase your time, your talent, and your treasure. Amen. Somebody needs to say amen on that one. The second way that you and I can begin to discover what He's called us to do is plant where you're planted. The grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. If you want to see something better happen, 
Begin to plant where you're planted. Don't always look for the easy out. Don't always look for the better opportunity. He put you where you are on purpose. Plant where you're planted. Be active. God never entrusts responsibility to anyone who's sitting around waiting. A lot of times we quote that scripture, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. That doesn't mean you're sitting on the couch eating chips, playing video games. That means you're serving the Lord like a waiter. You're waiting on the Lord. You're serving the Lord. Be active where he's got you now and watch. When you're active and you're faithful, you put him first. You sought the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. He begins adding all these other things that you've wanted and needed and been praying for. And he begins entrusting you with more responsibility. Let me say it like this. Be faithful and active with what you have. And then God will trust you with greater responsibilities. Drop down to verse 24 and 25. Jesus continues in the story and he says, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. So first I knew and then next he says, I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. Thank you for the shiny gift that you entrusted to me, God. Thank you for the shiny salvation that you've poured out into my life. Here it is back. I didn't do anything with it. But I protected it. Y'all, let me ask you this question. When is the God who created the heaven and earth with a word, who flung the stars into space with a thought, who robed himself in flesh and the word became flesh, dwelt among us, paid the price for sin? When did this God ever require our defense? When did this God of all gods ever require our protection? Let me submit to you tonight. He doesn't need our protection. He needs us to act on what he's entrusted to us. Praise God. So this man thought he knew his master. And what he thought he knew about his master made him afraid. And so he hid what had been entrusted to him. Let me give you real quick. I'm a list guy. So I'm going to give you three characteristics of an unprofitable servant. The first one is pride. The unprofitable servant act on, acted on what he thought he knew. Pride will get us in three really, really powerful ways. It's going to get us with what we know. It's going to get us with what we have. And it's going to get us with what we do. We're proud of the knowledge we've accumulated. We're proud of the stuff that we've gathered. And then we're proud of the job that we have or or the things that we do. We'll do something in front of other people just to get noticed. We'll post something on social media and then we're checking it like every 13.2 seconds to see how many people liked it. And when no one liked it, we get disappointed. And the reason is because we're proud. Pride makes us unprofitable because pride focuses all of our attention on ourselves and gets all the attention off of God. The second characteristic of the unprofitable servant is fear. This particular servant focused on his own inabilities. And here's the thing about pride. Pride lies to us. Pride tells us we're better than we really are. 
But then when everybody else goes away and the lights get turned off and we're living on our, on our own and we're out there with no one else around us, that's when we look in the mirror and we realize, man, I'm not real good at this. In front of somebody else, I'll tell you I'm great at it. But the reality is I know my inabilities. And because I'm too proud to humble myself, I get afraid of where I'm going to screw up, right? Am I the only one that ever felt like that? Pride lies to us and makes us afraid because we focus on our own inabilities. Notice that with pride and fear, it's all about me. Y'all, we need to get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is our strength and in our weakness, His strength is made perfect, amen? We need to rely on Him, not ourselves. The third characteristic of an unprofitable servant is waste. This particular servant reacted by wasting his responsibility. Instead of reinvesting it, instead of putting it to work, he hid it, he buried it, and ultimately wasted what the master had entrusted to him. So, man, how do you you think this went over? Let's look at verse 26 and 27. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I had harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate... Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Take it down to the people that put it in a safe and do whatever it is that banks do with the money when I'm not around. At least I would have earned some interest. Don't hide what I've entrusted to you. Please don't bury what I've entrusted to you. I want you to understand this fact about our amazing God. Our amazing God is intensely concerned with profit. He does not make an investment that he has not done his due diligence on. He doesn't throw his salvation around willy-nilly. He chose you on purpose, for his purpose. He was intentional when he made this decision to save you. He gave his salvation freely because he knew what he could do through you. He knew his plan for you. It was not a plan for destruction, but it was a plan so you would have a future and a hope. He knew the plans long before he ever said, let there be. He said, I've got a plan for some people that are going to be living in 2015 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I'm going to use them to do my purpose. Here's my salvation. What are you going to do with it? But he didn't throw it away for us to bury it. Because he is intensely concerned with you and I returning a profit. In fact, he invests his character in each of us for the express purpose of turning a profit. When he saved you, he saved you because there's someone that you can save. When he healed you, he healed you so that you could take that testimony and go heal someone else. When he, when he repaired your marriage, he said, I'm repairing your marriage so you can bump into someone else whose marriage has fallen apart and you can bring them to a place of healing. Whatever he invests in us, he's doing that so that we can go do the same thing for someone else. So let's ask that question again. What am I doing with what he's entrusted to me? Let me, let me wrap this up, bring it to a close. I don't, I don't know what time y'all normally get out, but I'm almost done here. Let's, let's look at verse 29. This is how Jesus wraps this parable up. And, and understand, this was not something that made people feel comfortable. 
He's talking about some guys that did well, but he, he's really highlighting, highlighting an individual who had kind of dropped the ball, right? When you hear this, you're kind of like, whoa, that's not comfortable at all. So here's how Jesus wraps it up. He says, to those who use well what they've been given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. Let me stop right there. I've already said this, but let me say it one more time just so you understand just how serious he is about this. He saved us on purpose for his purpose. He didn't give you the ability to study so you could get a degree so you could do the thing that was on your five or ten year plan. He gave you that ability so you could use that imagination and creativity and education to further his kingdom. He saved you on purpose for his purpose. We're saved for a whole lot more than celebration. Y'all, we're saved to make a difference. So the challenge for every one of us is this. Let's use well what we've been given. And when we use it well, even more will be given and we will have an abundance. Monty, that all sounds good, but if I invest myself and I go all in like this, I'm not going to have enough. If I do what you're telling me to do, Monty, that sounds good in a church service. But in the real world, that's not how it works, y'all. Here's how it works in God's real world. Whatever you pour out for the sake of my kingdom, I'll not only give that back to you, I'll give you more so you can pour it out again. In fact, he says that whoever gives up houses, lands, family, friends, for my sake and for the sake of my kingdom, they will receive abundantly more in my kingdom. Let me give you a next step. This is, this is my practice. I'm, I, I, this is my first time ever preaching here, but I'm, I'm just acting like I'm back home at NOLA Church. I made them a promise when we launched three years ago. I said, I'm not going to leave any service without giving you a next step which is just a little something. If you don't remember anything else that I say in the sermon, hang on to this. This is a little nugget that you can put in your pocket and actually walk out of here and put into practice this week. Here's your next step. Discover your gifts, accept your responsibility, and then begin making an investment that lasts. Discover your gifts, accept your responsibility, and then make an investment that lasts. Y'all, we're saved to leave legacy. What happens when you die? What happens when you move off the scene? What happens when you retire? What happens when you get done serving in the position you serve at the church? What happens? Does it fall apart when you step off the scene? Or does it continue? Are you setting yourself up for success? Or are you setting yourself up for a successor who can come along behind you and continue the work? That's our next step, y'all. Let's discover our gifts. Let's accept our responsibility. And let's make an investment that lasts. Y'all, here's my challenge and then I'm done. Y'all, let's take a risk. Let's go to work. And every one of us, let's go all in for the kingdom of God. That sound good to anybody tonight? Pastor Philip, thank you so much. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Thank you for the opportunity to minister. I love you.
would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.